Good morning, everyone. Am I on? Yeah. Oh, hi. Is everybody having a great day today? You can be seated. I'm going to talk for a while. <laughs> All right. Um, Joe is obviously not here today. He is um, hanging out with his son doing a disc golf tournament. Um, and meanwhile, uh, Dan has a friend. Would you like to introduce your friend? I'd love to. This is Aaron Geist. Aaron and I worked together at our former church back in Tigard over the years. He was an associate pastor there, and he and I shared on the worship team together. And Aaron, I would adopt him as my son <laughs> if, it, if it weren't for the fact that he already likes his own dad. So <laughs> I'm, I can't do anything about that. But he's one of my favorite people in the world, and uh, we have ministered together over the years. And uh, he graciously offered to come from Tigard Come all the way out here and uh, help us out today. So welcome. Thanks for being here. Um, uh, so I think, oh, Jesse, Jesse, I think you have some announcements. Um, other than that, um, when she gets done with that, I'll, talk, I'll let you guys know a little bit about what's going on with the sermon today. And uh, Jesse. Okay. Good morning. I uh, just have a couple things that are coming up that I wanted to tell you guys about. First off, we have our first Grill and Chill that's happening on May 29th at Brian and Kathy's house. Uh, if you don't have their address, check in the directory or come ask me. I'll give it for you. But a Grill and Chill, all you do is you bring a main dish for your family to grill there and then a side to share with everyone. So very simple, very easy. And they live in Hubbard, so they're not too far from here. Oh, yeah. C coloring will also happen at the same time there. <laughs> and the yeah. time is 4.34? It's 4.34, exactly. So that's exactly when it's going to start. Yeah. Next one. Uh, ladies, we're going to do farmer's market hopping. Why? I don't know. It sounded fun. Oh, click. That's, that was real fast. Uh, so on May 20th, we're going to start here, and we're going to head to Oregon City to hit the Oregon City Farmer's Market. Then we're going to drive to Canby, hit the Canby Farmer's Market. And then there's a special market happening in Aurora, so we'll hit that one as well and end here. I love farmer's markets, just getting outside and being around, uh, just being outside. We've been cooped up for a pretty long time. So if you'd like to join, there will be a sign-up sheet at the end of service today. I forgot to make one, so I will do that during service. <laughs> So yeah, any lady can join us. Big, little, you're all welcome. Next. And there's a work party happening on the 27th. We have jobs for everybody. If you can sweep or if you can dust, if you want to play outside in the dirt, we got a job for you. If you can be here for an hour or for 10 minutes, there's a job, I promise. If you have any questions, ask Greg. I think that's the last one for me. Cool, that's the last one. Thank you. All right. Ta-da! <laughs> I am not 25 anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, can I tell you? Okay, I gotta tell you. So about, about a week and a half ago, not, well, no, yeah, about a week and a half ago, we, we, had, we, had, we had a baptism. About two weeks ago, we had a baptism. So it was drained. And so la not this Friday, the previous Friday, I'm cleaning this out. And I slip and slide all the way down the stairs, and I got a gnarly bruise from it. I still have a bruise a week later. So Jesse's going to put a big um, new uh, treads on the steps so I don't fall. Yeah, I am not as young as I used to be. Join the club. <sighs> Anyways, 
So um, we are continuing in, in Ephesians, and we are um, going to be looking at particularly 14 through 18. And you know, I've never noticed that this section is actually talking about racism, but it is. And, um, and I was going to talk, I, was, I had a lot to say, and then I, yesterday I go, you know what, I need to just break this up because there's too much to say. And, and so today we're just going to be looking at how, how Paul frames the whole issue, which is gigantically significant. Um, obviously, in our own day and age, that's, racism is a big deal, injustice is a big deal, and, and the hostility between people groups is just gigantic. Um, even if you just think of it in terms of political groups, the, the hostility is massive, and Paul is addressing the hostility between groups in this section and, and in God, giving God's answer, his viewpoint on it, his solution to it. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited to, to, to talk about that today, all right? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for, uh, for, for being here. Help us to set aside what's happened up to this point in the day. The stuff that we're thinking about going forward. Or just help us to worship you. Help us to hear your voice, both in the music and in the, in the sermon. So many of us come with lots of things happening, but we know that of all things, we need to worship you and, and, and put our, our focus on you to give you the praise you deserve. Help us to do that. Holy Spirit, be here. Open our hearts to, 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 to break them up. Break up our concrete hearts that they may praise you. Empower the, the, the tech team and, and the musicians to bring us into your presence that you may be glorified. Amen to that. And uh, have you asked yourself why you come on Sundays? Have you ever asked, thought about that other than tradition or what I do every week or all the, all the other logistical reasons we might choose? Um, we come because God is good and because he is real and the world looks at him as, as a, a concept. We look at him as a person whose son saved us from sin and from death. And we come not to sing songs and to hear a message, but to lift up the name of Jesus Christ and to honor and glorify him. And so as we sing, would you think of something that's happened this week that that God has intervened or God has touched you or spoken to you or revealed to you in his word or through other people or something that has meant something to you that comes from him and as we sing these songs say thank you for who you are and for what you have done in my life so let's stand together light of the world you step down into darkness Oh, dear Father, we thank you that you are worthy of our worship, that we can come to you and lift you up and praise the name of your son, Jesus, for who he is and for all he has done for us. May we give you glory, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day of the week. 
for you are good and you are love and you are here in our midst this morning and I pray for Pastor Brian as he brings the message that you will uh, pour out your spirit on him as he uh, teaches us. We love you and we give you thanks and everybody said Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Now it's on. Okay. Uh, so, the issue of whether or not God is racist, whether the Bible is racist, is solved in Genesis chapter 1, that all people are made in the image of God, period. doesn't matter if you're black, white, yellow, green, whatever it is. It, all human beings are, even they made, are equal, male, female, doesn't matter what it is. But that doesn't solve the issue of why is, how is God dealing with the problem here. And that's what this, pay, this, this section is, is, is dealing with. Now, chapter, uh, ver, chapter, we're in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 is all about salvation individually. It's about what's going on here in terms of you and Jesus. It's talking about individual salvation. But 11 through really the rest of the chapter is talking about, about salvation in a, in a, in a corporate, in a, in a people group kind of way. It's the same thing, it's just two sides of the same coin. Now we read it, we don't necessarily read it that way because we're so darn individualistic in our way of looking at our faith, looking at the world. We don't really think in terms of group identity. I think that's starting to change in the West, but it's certainly still a part of who, how we think. But that's not how Paul is thinking about it. This is salvation from a group level perspective. But the points are still the same points. The point is still the same as we're going to talk about here this morning. We're going to, how, because there's stuff that he is not going to say in verses 14 through 18 because he's already said them. That he doesn't, he's not going to repeat them because he's already said them just a couple of verses earlier. But I want to come back to that issue by pointing out a couple of things in verses 1 through 18 before we do one single idea in verses 14 through 18, okay? Racism, hostility. Gosh, you can't, you can't, you can't hardly look at the TV without it. It's all over the place. Hostility between people groups, between people who have privilege and people who don't have privilege. 
between whites, between black, because, you know, the Ukraine war, which in part has to do with, with people group issues. You have, of course, the Middle East has been going on forever, right? There's so much tension between groups, and we're becoming more and more fractured. And we think it's a modern issue. No, it's always been there. How does Paul view it? Now, the main sentence in this entire section can be found in verse 13. This is the basic idea of this entire section is that in Christ Jesus, you, whom he has described in verses, the, the previous couple of verses, 11 through 12, um, are in who were once far off, and he explains what that means to be far off, and then he goes on, have been brought near, which is what he's going to talk about going forward, and by the blood of Jesus. How does what Jesus done is what this section 14 through 18 is primarily talking about. And then beyond 18 is really dealing with what does it mean to be brought near, which is the opposite of what it means to be far. Now that's just the big picture. But right now what I want to talk about is he's already framed this whole discussion. And that's what I want you to hear. And, and this is the part I was like, okay, this is... It, up until yesterday, yesterday I was like, okay, this is just one of the points in the sermon. Like, but yesterday, I go, no, 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 this is too important. It's too foundational for you not to hear just this today. You, you need to get this. And you need to get these, these, these framing ideas, how he, he, what I mean by framing it, it's what's the lens in which he's looking at it, because it's very different than what you hear Anywhere in our culture today, whether it's a political group, whether it's on TV, whether it's in a magazine or an article, or virtually anywhere on, on, on YouTube, unless, it's a, unless they're specifically gospel-centered, you're not going to hear this viewpoint. And more than that, their viewpoint is antithetical to the gospel. It really is. What is the framework? Let's go back to verse 1. The he reads, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, I highlighted you because I want to I point something out with that. But let me read through it and I'll come back to it. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, who's the, who's the, who's the you? It's Gentiles is who he's talking about, right? Which you once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's at now at work at the sons of disobedience. He's, he's this sweeping condemnation of the Gentile world. But then he goes, among whom we all once lived in the passions of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. He includes the Paul himself and the Jewish people in this too, who were once and who were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now, why is he doing this you we thing? I didn't bring that up back then, but let me, let me bring it up at this point. He could have, in verse 1, said, And we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but he doesn't do that. 
He purposely divides the two here. Why? It's because he's trying to make the point that even if even the Jews who do have a privileged status, as he says in, in Romans, theirs are the prophets, theirs are the promises, theirs is the one of the lineage of Abraham. They're the ones that have been given the commands. There is a privilege in us from an angle to being biologically Jewish, but it does not help them. It doesn't make any difference. As he puts it in Romans chapter 3, what shall we say then? Are Jews any better off? Not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jew and Greeks, are all under sin. Privilege, from a God perspective, does not help you in this circumstance. We talk a lot about in our culture about the haves and the have-nots. But Paul is saying, first of all, he's looking at it, first of all, he's looking at it from a divine sense. We look at it from a horizontal. All, everywhere you hear on TV, it's all going to be how humans interact with each other and in the solutions on a human-to-human uh, human issue level. But Paul has flipped it on its head and says from this direction, first of all, there is a privilege in a sense, but it doesn't change the circumstance. We're all equally condemned. That's a big deal. Now put that in terms of some of the things you'll hear. The Democrats are worse than the Republicans. The Republicans are worse than the Democrats. The blacks are worse than the whites. The whites are worse worse than the blacks. Palestinians are worse than than the Israelis. On and on and on and on it goes. Right? There's all this comparing. Who's better than the other? And now it's not that there isn't a distinction. Paul's making, there is distinctions. There are some who, from a human perspective, are certainly better off than others who've committed more sin than others. Yes, but from a divine perspective, it's flat. If I could give you an image, if you're standing in downtown downtown Portland or, or maybe New York, and you're standing at street level, oh, obviously there's different heights to the buildings, right? But if you were to have a direct downward angle, the heights kind of disappear. It's flat. That's the point. From a human level, of course there's heights, height difference in terms of some people are more sinful from another. But when, you, when you're looking at it from a divine perspective, all are under sin. This is the first big framing that he makes. Now, some are going to be. Some will be. Will say, "Yeah, you, you've 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 oppressed us. You're bad because you've done this, 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 and this." But on the other hand, they're not seeing all the ways that they've done themselves. Look, think of it in the Jews. From the, from the Jewish perspective, they're saying, yeah, I am privileged. Right? And are they wrong? Well, no. And so the Greeks are looking at them and going, 
you're arrogant. Are they wrong? Well, no. But what they're failing to see is all the ways that they've sinned. And that's the same thing that happens today. You've done this, this, and this wrong in our culture. You've done this bad thing, this bad thing, without actually also saying, wait a minute, but what have we done? What have I done? It's, it's the thing that Jesus said, right? Before you judge your brother, take the log out of your own eye. But that only happens if you have a divine top-down perspective. And that's the problem in our society, is we don't have that anymore. We don't have that. We don't see the world that way. Now, we Christians should, and probably most, many times we do, but we forget it because we're listening so loudly, so intently to the rest of the social commentators who do not share that worldview. And if I may be blunt, a Christian worldview doesn't mean Christian morals. That's not, those things don't equate. It's a part of it, but that's not, the, that's not a Christian worldview. A Christian worldview is to see things the way the Bible sees things, from a divine perspective. And that includes things like this. We're all guilty. And if you're a people group who's been oppressed... Don't miss your own guilt. If you're the one that's being charged, don't forget your own guilt. We're all equally under sin. We're all equally need. And this is important because he doesn't state this in verses 14 through 18, that, that we all need Jesus. Jews and Gentiles alike. We all can't save ourselves, which is the next piece. If you pop down to verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is the point, really, of this entire chapter, that we are, salvation is a grace thing. It's a gift thing, as he puts it in the next phrase. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. This is the key point. That, now, in verses 1 through 10, what was the point? That we can't save ourselves. God needs to help us. Needs to, he needs to create in us a new person. He needs to resurrect us from the dead. But now apply that from a societal level. How do we hear injustice is going to be fixed? How do we see violence is going to be fixed? Laws? Will laws fix a broken heart? No! Does law ever fix anything? If you put two people in a, in a room who are like Jesus, do you think either of them would shoot each other? Well, no! Do you need a law to not steal if you're like Jesus? Do you need a law to not commit adultery or to speed or any of the other things that we say we shouldn't do in this country? Do you need any of it? No! We're trying to legislate morality. And I don't mean moral laws. I mean trying to force people to do the right thing by laws. Does that ever work? That's the opposite of the gospel, guys. That's the, that, that's the whole issue, is that law can't 
solve it, as he goes on to say, not the result of work, so that you can't boast. The whole point is that the Jews couldn't keep the law. They couldn't keep the do's and don'ts. Do this, don't do this. This is good, do this. This is bad, don't do that. And they couldn't do it. That's just simply laws. Laws isn't going to fix anything, but that's our solution. Education. Is education, that, that, that's another one we hear. Is thinking better going to help? Well, yes. But it doesn't get at the issue that we've looked at in this past, that our, our humanity's thoughts are darkened and futile in their minds. I'm not saying either of these things aren't right to try, but don't put your hope in them. We throw money at it like money's going to fix it. Guys, those solutions are saying that humanity can fix the world by what it does, by works. That's not the gospel. We can't fix the world by law. We can't fix the world by money. We can't fix the world by education. Not that we shouldn't do try those things. They might help a little bit, but it's not going to bring the utopia that we all dream of. These are the two big reframings that Paul is saying. We're all guilty, and we, as a human race, cannot solve the hostility between us. And we think about that in terms of, we think of the salvation by grace alone in terms of individual, as we should. I can't fix myself, I need God to work in my life, right? But Paul is applying that not just at an individual level, he's, he's, he's applying that at a, as a cultural, as a civilization, as a race, as a, a human, humanity level as well here. We can't save ourselves. We can't fix ourselves. There's plenty of stones to go around. Not that I like Gandhi, but his point, he's saying, you know, an eye for an eye will make the whole world blind. He's right. There's plenty of injustice to go around. There's plenty of sin to go around. And as much as we want, we can't fix ourselves. Guys, this, do, you, do you hear that in, in the media at all? Well, no. And of course, the hard part of that, the, the part that's discouraging to me, is you don't even hear that regularly from Christians. But I cannot think of a more basic point in Scripture, the more basic idea to the gospel, is that we cannot fix ourselves. You can't. God has to do something creatively new to make it happen. Can't fix yourself. We're not going to fix society. Don't, again, don't misunderstand me. It's not that we shouldn't work on having good laws. It's not that we shouldn't do what we can do within us of money or education to try and mitigate the problem. But the problem is the heart, not external behavior alone. I can point to so many places where Jesus is taking that point. Out of a heart, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, says Jesus, said Jesus. It, 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 you know, the, if the, eye of the, uh, the eye is the lamp of the soul, and what, what comes out of a person is what corrupts them. It's like, it's, here's the problem. 
It's the human heart. Laws don't fix hearts. You can mitigate it. Counseling can help. Money can help. Education can help. But it ain't going to fix all of our problems. Now, with those two things, those two really big things in, in, in mind, which is just the, it's just the gospel, guys. That's, this, this, this is so obvious. What's the next piece, right? Who does save it? Who does save you? Jesus alone. Salvation is of the Lord. It's only Jesus that fix. Guess what his point is going to be? Only Jesus can fix all this. That's it. He reframes the the issue by saying all are guilty and we can't fix it. And now what he does is we go through here, and I'm going to highlight a couple of things starting in verse 14. And what you're going to see is how much he's taking all of this stuff and he's pushing it down and he's funneling it down to one single point, one person. All the weight of all the solution is not on a people group, it's not on on an idea, it's on Jesus personally. All of it, all the weight of all the sin, of all the mess, of all the violence, all of it, he funnels it all the way down, pushes it to one single place. And he makes it, he's so, because there's little things he says that really emphasizes that it's Jesus that does it. Starting here in in verse 14. For Christ, he didn't even just say, he could say, for Christ has brought peace to us. No, he goes, Christ Christ himself personally has brought us peace. It is he that united Jews and Gentiles into one people. He did this. He did this. Into his own body. He didn't just say his body. He could have. But his own body, his flesh, he did it. On the, on the cross, he broke down the wall. We didn't break down the wall. He did it. That wall, which is this hostility, that he, he's the one that deals with the hostility that separated. Now, I'm going to talk about how he, he does this. You know, he, he did this by ending the system of the law. I'm going to explain all that next week. That alone is enough. But, but the point I want to make today is he did this on the cross, right? With its commandments, with its regulations. He made peace. He is the prince of peace. He did it. We are passive in this. Do you see Jews and Gentiles doing any action in this? No. In this entire section... Do they, are they active in any way? Go back and read through it. It's not there. By creating, he could have just said, by creating one people. But Paul pushes in there, creating in himself, in Jesus himself, he creates one people from the two groups. Through his body, Christ reconciled his people by the means of his death on the cross by putting to death the, uh, the, 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 the hostility. He brought this good news 
of peace to Gentiles who are far away from him and peace to Jews who are near because of what Christ has done. It is peace through one. One person. One. God in the flesh, Jesus Christ. What is going to solve the racist Racism problem, the hostility problem in our world, the gun violence. Has that, how many shootings has there been this week? A lot. This is horrible. What's going to solve that? Jesus solves that. Apply the gospel to what you're hearing on the news. Don't forget these fundamental things about what we believe. All are guilty. We can't fix ourselves. Jesus is the solution. That applies at an individual level. That applies as a civilization level. That it's solved through one act, one person who makes one way to be saved. And in this, as we're going to talk about, justice gets satisfied. There's a unity in diversity. It's not that he erases differences between people. That would not be unity. That would be sameness. As he's going to talk about us as a, as a body, is, is, is my body all exactly the same as yours? The hand is not the foot. The foot is not the eye. The eye is not the tongue. There's differences between my body, but it's one unit. It works together. Unity in Diversity, and in this, but there's equality, absolute equality, and Jesus alone does all of it. He creates this. And it has to be this way, because we're all guilty and we can't save ourselves. That's the, those, that, those are the two things that he doesn't say here because he's already stated it. So we need to read 13, 11 through 22 with those two big points he's already made in mind. I know we read the scripture sometimes and we break it up into little groups. But he was meant to be read in one full sitting. So that literally seconds before you read 11 through 22, you've read, we're all under, under sin and we can't do this ourselves. As he summarizes in verse 18 right here. Through him, one person, we both, plurality, have access to God. There's one way to the Father. One family, because there's one Father in heaven and earth. He creates a new group, one people, a new people, as Paul will put it, a new man, a new body, by one spirit. Purchased for you on the cross. One way, one person, one solution, one. And is that not what Jesus said in John 14? Jesus answered, I am not a, the, the way the world gets fixed. I am the truth. I and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jew, Gentile, it is through Jesus 
that justice comes to the world. It is through Jesus that reconciliation happens. It is through Jesus that righteousness will reign over the world. Period. That's the gospel, guys. Just apply it to a global civilization level. That's what Paul is doing. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He alone is. We have the gospel of peace. We have the one real solution. It's not what the world wants to hear because they're darkened in their thinking and they believe that politics will solve the problem. Because what else do they got? You take God out of the picture, he can't fix anything, he's not there. What do they got? They got politics, they got money, they got protests. And dear Christians, you fall for that just as much as, the, as anybody else. We do. Don't put your hope in that. Put your hope in Jesus. That's the gospel. And that's the fundamental point that Paul makes. Okay? Now next week we're going to talk about how he did this and this weird kind of, for some people, disturbing phrase, he abolished the law. What does that mean? As I talk about how he brings justice, how he pre creates one way, we need to think a little more carefully, because there's a lot that Paul does not say here that he has said in other places that it's helpful to just kind of remember what he means by that as we go forward. But today, this is enough flattens the world, you know, from, he reframes it by putting it from a God perspective. There's a God, the God will solve the problem. All are guilty. You can't fix yourself. Jesus alone does. There's a solution. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for, for, uh, for your word that tells us a different story, that tells us the truth, that tells us the reality of what's actually happening in the world. that actually tells us the reality. Oh, Lord, help. Help us to reframe how we see the world to match the way you see the world as we read in your word. And to remember that there is hope for the world because of you, Jesus. Help us to fix our eyes upon you and say that we need you, Jesus. We need you as, as, as individual believers. We need you as a country. We need you as a civilization. We need you because of the violence and the hostility we see every day on the streets of our, of our, of our dear country, our nations, and our cities around the world. We need you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. make this your prayer this morning Keith Green wrote this in the 80s just a beautiful hymn of praise to our God and 
Do you know that the same God who created the universe loves you? You ever stop and think about that? The power to create this world and everything in it? He loves you too. Let's sing this together. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thanks for bringing us into your presence. For helping us see your beauty, your glory, your love for us. Thank you that you've brought peace between us and you. Thank you that because of you there is hope. Both for our for us as, as individual people, but for the world. It is too small a thing, says the Lord, that you would just save one people. No, you want to save the world. Thank you for that. We give you the praise this morning for all that you've done for us. Particularly, critically, in your death for us on the cross. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he said, this is my body given for you. And then our sins and the sins of our world was laid on Jesus. The redemption that we desperately need, the forgiveness of our sins by his blood was laid upon him. And, he, and the Father crushed him for our, for our iniquities. Because all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Every last one of us. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. We cry out justice, and we need justice needs to happen. But thanks be to God that it, that it is through Jesus that there can be, in fact, peace. In Jesus, justice will be absolutely satisfied. That he took their, the penalty for your sins. Because you have put your faith in him. Put your faith in him today. Trust him. Trust him for your own life and for the hope of the world. Come to the table. Get the elements as we sing this song. And then we'll come back together and take them together. Your hope, the body and blood of Christ given for you. Lord Jesus, draw us near to, your, to, to you. Draw us near to your side. Just draw us near to, to thinking like you, to seeing the world through the lens of the gospel.
that we need our Creator. We need our Redeemer. Help us to follow after you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. You know, singing the hymns is kind of like reading the King James Version. With all of these and vows and all that, right? Right? Well, let me translate this hymn real quickly before we sing it one more time through. I am yours, Lord. I've heard your voice, and it told your love to me. But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be drawn closer to you. You know, faith is not belief without proof. We got lots of proof. It's trust without reservation. Faith is trusting without holding back. So what are you not trusting him in today? What do you need to work on? What do we need to work on to energize our faith, to grow our faith, to lean on him with all our weight on those things that scare us, that frighten us, that worry us, that consume us? But I long to rise in the arms of faith and be more drawn closer to you. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where you died on for me. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to your precious bleeding side. That gift of salvation is a precious thing. And we prove our love for him through trusting him through the difficulties of life. Let's stand and sing it one more time through, and then we'll be dismissed. Absolutely. Father, I pray that you would go before us as our good shepherd, leading us home, leading us in your ways. Go, go, go behind us as our Savior with mercy and with your Spirit being giving us the grace we need every moment of the day. Be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Go. Be blessed. Trusting in Jesus for the things that scare you. All right? He's our hope.